And uh, again, welcome to, to each one in the house and in your house. And it's amazing through technology today that we could all be together. Well, three weeks ago, I uh, ministered uh, a message by using a quote from A.W. Tozier that says, A frightened world needs a fearless church. A fearless church. And I began sort of a, maybe a little mini-series of what a fearless church is. A frightened world needs a fearless church. How many know the world does not need a confused church? Or a compromised church? That's not what the world needs. No, no, a church that is not conformed to the world, but transformed by the Word. The Word is the life and the light. Jesus is the Word. The Word is, this is the life and the light of the world. And so the world needs a church that doesn't, you know, look so much like it that you can't tell it apart. I mean, the world needs a church that is a contrast for the world. Light in darkness. Hope in bleakness. Joy in sadness. Love in the madness. And good in the badness. We need a contrast for the world. A frightened world. Psalm 91 tells us about the fears of, of the world. It talks about the terror by night, the arrows by day, the disease in the darkness, and the destruction that wastes at noonday. These are fearful things, and these are fearful times. And probably in our whole life, we've never gone through anything like we have in the last two and a half years where fear has just been, you know, the predominant controller of the hearts of the whole world. Yeah. And the church is the hope of humanity. The church, the church isn't going anywhere. Governments are going to go. All governments come and go. <laughs> I rest my case. I mean, but, but even empires and civilization, they come and go. They come and go. But the church, the church is the salt of the earth. The church is the light of the world. And she ain't going anywhere but up to help him come back down. We're going up. To come back down. Amen. The church, the church. And we need, the world needs us to be the church that is the fearless church in fearful days and, and, and in these times. And so I introduced these thoughts last week, or three weeks ago actually, from Matthew 4, 16. And we read about those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow. The shadow of death, where death casts its shadow, but we read that a light has shined. A light has shined where death has cast its shadow. In a world where death casts its shadow, a fearless church casts her light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we're talking about what does a fearless church look like? And we, we, we saw how that Jesus 
on the cross and in the resurrection and, and the ascension that Jesus conquered death. But he did something even greater, in my opinion, than conquering death. He freed us from the fear of dying. Yes, he conquered death, but he defeated the fear of dying that has bound us all our life. The fear of dying. How many know death is a one-time event? But the fear of it according to the scripture, can grip us every single day of our life. The Bible talks about those who have been bound all their life. You're only going to die once, but the dread of it can be there all your life. But Jesus has conquered not only death, he has conquered the dread and the fear of death. And we we read in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse, oh, by the way, It's wonderful to live without fear. You want this. You need this like I need this. We want to live fearless lives. And we read in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. How many know there's the bully and then there's the fear of the bully? And if you've lived any way like I've lived, you understand that the fear of the bully is way worse than the bully. But Jesus has defeated both. Paul teaches us how we ought to live in this resurrection life that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is dread. That's not what he says. That's not what he says. For me to live is Christ and to die, it just gets better. It's gain. He said, alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. It's not life versus death. It's life versus even more life. Paul said, I can't lose. That's how I want to live, with an I can't lose spirit, heart, and attitude. Jesus said in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Well, we know that Jesus doesn't have to say that he's going to tell us the truth whenever he speaks to us, but in this case, he does. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe that God sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, ever. You will never, you who follow, you who believe, you who have put your heart in Jesus, though you may be, you know, uh, frayed, hit the edges and frail and all of this, I'm telling you what Jesus says to you, you will never be condemned for your sins. No, you have eternal life. He says these three things, If you believe, if you believe my message and him who sent me, you have eternal life. You will never be condemned for your sins and you've already passed from death unto life. Well, how painless was that? I hardly remember it. It's hardly a blip on the radar. So what does a fearless church look like? It looks like fierce followers of Christ who are not afraid to die. (laughs) Secondly, we looked at a fearless church is not afraid of man. We're not afraid of man. 
We remember that when Peter and John were arrested after healing the lame man in Acts chapter 3, and now they're standing before the Sanhedrin and the high council, and the high council and the Sanhedrin are pulling their hair out. They're pulling their beard out. They just don't know what to do with these guys who are preaching Jesus and getting miraculous signs and wonders. And so they tell them, we adjure you. You will never again speak in the name of Jesus. You will not talk. You will not mention that name. You will not speak Jesus. You will not do Jesus. You will not think Jesus. We forbid it. We forbid it. We forbid it. And what does Peter and John answer and say? Verse 20 of Acts 4. Do you think God wants us to obey you? Rather than him, we cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. That just ain't going to happen. So you guys do what you got to do because we're going to do what we got to do. You do you and we do Jesus. And we'll see how it all works out in the end. A fearless church does not live for the opinion or the approval or the appraisal of man. Galatians 1.10, Paul said, for I am, am I now seeking the approval of man? Is that what I'm trying? Is this my goal? Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And we saw how that John's gospel shows us what happens to a confused and a frustrated follower of Christ who lives with the fear of man. We see it in, in, in John 12, verse 42. Many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them, for fear that the Pharisees would cancel them that they would cancel them from the synagogue. They believed, many believed, hallelujah, no, however. Even prominent believers, yes, yeah, but. But they wouldn't admit it. Why wouldn't they admit it? Because of the cancel culture of the Pharisees for anyone who did believe it. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Can I tell you that totally committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they live for the glory of God more than the praise and acceptance and approval of men. So what does a fearless church look like? Fierce followers of Christ who are not afraid to die and bold believers in Jesus who are not afraid of man. And today, I want you to come with me as we look at this fearless church, daring disciples of Christ who are not afraid of the dark. Toward the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he'd been arrested and he was sent to prison up in Caesarea Maritama. And for two years he was there. And right near, and he appeals to Caesar. But one day he has this amazing opportunity to talk to King Agrippa. And this king, who is very familiar with the, the Jewish way and, and, and the way, Paul just considers it such a great honor. And before he takes off on his final trip, as we think, to Rome, Paul stands before King Agrippa, and Paul goes back and tells his story. And I'm going to talk to you next week about this more, about the power of telling your story. But Paul tells his story to King Agrippa. He holds nothing back, and he explains how that he was on his way to Damascus, 
And on that road, Jesus Christ knocked him off his high horse. Jesus Christ punched his lights out. He was blind for three days. And then he tells Agrippa what Jesus told him. And here's what we read. Jesus said to him, I am sending you to the Gentiles. That's everybody that's not a Jew. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about race and racism. On Pentecost Sunday, I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to talk about race. It's the week of reconciliation as well. And how many know on the day of Pentecost, something happened? Something amazing happened between the Jews and all the other races. Anyway, stick around. In two weeks, we're going to go there, and I want to share a message with you on race. And so Paul says, Jesus says, I'm sending you to open their, to the Gentiles, to open their eyes, watch, so that they may turn from darkness to light. Darkness. Darkness is real. And so is light. How many know darkness has never, ever, ever had the capacity to put out light? But light doesn't even have to work hard to put out darkness. All of the darkness combined on the face of the earth since the beginning of time cannot put out a single light. It's light that puts out darkness. But I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. This is what I'm calling you to do, Paul. And then they will receive forgiveness of their sins and they will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Paul, here's your life. Here's your ministry. Here's your calling. From darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. The world needs a church that is not afraid of the dark or the darkness or the devils and demons that inhabit it. I've come this morning to pick a fight. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, when I was in high school, I took wrestling. And we always wrestled against flesh and blood against somebody else. We would step onto the mat. We would get on the mat, and then all of the, you know, lessons that we'd had and training that we'd had in wrestling, it would start. And somebody was going to be pinned before the match was over. Somebody was going down. Somebody was going to be pinned. And somebody was going to walk away victorious. And somebody was going to walk away defeated. Wrestle. Wrestle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We wrestle, we wrestle this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We wrestle. We do not flee in this present darkness. We fight in this present darkness. We do not run from it. We wrestle it. We resist it and refuse it and restrain it and refrain it and repel it and rebuke it. We don't fear it or the prince of it or the power in it. 
Why would we fear it when Jesus has triumphed over it? We just read this scripture. Let me read it again. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him. That through death he might destroy him. Destroy him. Destroy him. That through death, I mean, he just turned, turned his own forces against him. He turned it all around. He might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. That he might destroy the devil. Destroy the devil. Destroy the devil. That he might destroy him. First John 3, 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus destroyed him and his works. Jesus destroyed him and disarmed him and disgraced him. And this is what we read in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. Talking about Jesus nailed to the cross. And it says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. You know, the arrest warrant for our sins. You know, having written, having, having, it says here, having wiped out the handwritten of requirements, all the law we've broken, all the accusation against us, everything that would condemn us and send us to hell. Jesus on the cross, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. Those nails not only held his hands and his feet, they held the arrest of warrants for our lives. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The Good News Bible says it like this. And on that cross, Christ freed himself from the power of the spiritual rulers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them by leading them as captives in his victory possession. This is what would happen when Roman captains and rulers would go in and fight a battle and defeat a king. And, and totally disarm and ransack the kingdom. And when he would come back, he would bring the spoils with him. There would be a triumphal entry of a, of a great warrior, you know, riding the horse, or he would be in the chariot. Behind him, like with a collar around their neck, would be the former ruler who has just been disarmed, who has just been now disgraced as this king who used to wear robes was now naked, and he was coming through the streets with chains because there was a, this triumphant entry of the victor. What is there to fear from a darkness that Jesus has raided and invaded? What is there to fear from a demon or a devil that Jesus has dominated and subjugated? I think I'm Preaching better than your amening. 
That's all right. What does a fearless church look like? Daring disciples of Christ who are not afraid of the dark. Not afraid. Not afraid. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 21, we read, Now he is. Hey, how is he now? I heard 2,000 years ago, it went pretty rough for him there at the end. How is he? How is he now? All these years later, how is he? I heard they, they, really, they really did him bad. I heard he died. I heard he rose too, but, but how is he? How is he now? Okay, here we go. Now he is, this is how he is now. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the one to come. How is he? How are you? How are you, Lord? How are you, Master? How are you? There is no ruler, no authority, no power, no leader, no anything in this world or the world to come that is not, he is not far above in power and authority. Ooh, I feel courage rising in the house. I feel fear running out the door. Come on, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That has to be a rhetorical question because the answer is no one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom then shall I be afraid? That has to be rhetorical. Of whom? Of none. Oh, to live a life without fear. To live a life not chained and bound and tormented by the fear of man or or, or defeated by the dread of death or to live a life not cowering to the power of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. Not the government, not the platform, not the current deal. The church is his body, his body, his hands and his feet. He is the head and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Welcome to the church. The apostle Peter said that he has gone into heaven, and this is 1 Peter 3 and verse 22. He has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Subject to him. Devils and darkness and demons are all subject to him. Subject to him. Subject is the Greek word hupotasso, hupotasso, and it means to subordinate, to subdue, and to put under. To put under, under. Satan is under his feet. We read this from the Good News translation of this verse. God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as supreme Lord over all things. I'm sticking with the church. God has put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as supreme Lord over all things. Satan is under 
his feet. You are his feet. Excuse me while I just run around the church for a little while and lose my breath while I'm doing it at the majesty of Jesus Christ, the conquering Lord, the risen Savior, the overcoming King. Satan is under his feet, and you are his body. You are his feet. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you. Man, when Jesus says, Behold, take a look, consider, I give you. He doesn't say you earn it. He doesn't say, you know, work harder. He doesn't say this might be yours if, he just says, I give you. I give you. And I just want to say, Lord, whatever, whatever's next, I'm in. I'll take it. Behold, I give you. Whatever that is, Lord, if you're giving it, I want it and I need it in my life. And Jesus says, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Behold, I give you power over all the power, over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give you, I give you exousia. This is the Greek word. I give you, behold, you know, check it out. Look at it. Behold, see this in front of you right now that I give you exousia, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Exousia means the capacity, the competency, and the mastery. I give you the capacity, the competency, and the mastery. I give you the authority, the jurisdiction, the liberty, the power, the right, and the strength to trample That's what you do with your feet to trample over all the power of the enemy. Now, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And so, therefore, I am not afraid of curses or antichrists. I'm not afraid of spells or spirits. I'm not afraid of devils or demons. I'm not afraid of witches or warlocks or warthogs. Warthogs? How did that get in there? I am still a little afraid of serpents and scorpions. But I'm working on it. But I've had to work harder since God moved us to Australia. I live under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I live under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And under his authority, I have authority over all the power of the enemy. In 1976, in Darmstadt, Germany, on the Saturday night before Easter Sunday morning, 
I was in my last week in the military. Carol had already returned to the United States. And I drove to a place that has a world-famous Easter celebration, and I wanted to spend Easter in that city and to experience that before I left Germany. The only room I could find was this little attic, upstairs attic. It was weird. It, it reminded me of the Bates Hotel. It was just this weird, it was just like weird. had one single bed in it. And I walked in there and I thought, dude, this place is weird. And so that night I got into bed and I had an encounter with the power of darkness that I, 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 just, I just couldn't believe it. I was in that room and this cold darkness, this, as it were, misty fog of the devil or a, a demon come into that room. The hair stood up on the back. I could feel the cold. I could feel this thing come right up to me and right up over me. I am telling you, it was the most, you know, dramatic uh, encounter with darkness that I had ever experienced in my life, and I was scared. I was scared. But I, and I wanted to pull the covers over my head and just pray for daylight because daylight's better than darkness. But let me share this thought with you. There's a difference between being frightened and being afraid. A fright is something that happens to you. Fear is something that happens in you. A scare is on the outside, but fear is on the inside. Fear is a spirit that you give into that dominates and dictates your life. Yeah. Instead of pulling the covers over my head, I wrestled and I resisted and I refused to give in to the fear that was about to swallow me up whole. No, I didn't pull the covers over my head. I stepped out on the mat because we wrestle. We wrestle. And so I, I got up, set up. I could hardly speak. And I said out loud, I'm not going to live my life afraid of you or fearful of what you might do to me. I am here all alone. No one knows where I am. I'm in this upper room and there ain't nobody here but me and you. But I'm not gonna live my life afraid of you. And I'm not gonna worry for the rest of my life that you might do something to me. So whatever you can do to me, do it now. And I expected big old frog warts to just pop up, <laughs> you know, I expected my skin to turn green and my hair to fall out and I was going to go naked running outside like a crazy man. I just thought, well, whatever it is, let's just do it and get it over with because I'm not going to live the rest of my life afraid that you might do it sometime or at some point or someday to me. 
whatever you can do to me, darkness, whatever you can do to me, devil, just go ahead and do it. And when I said that, peace and light flooded into that room as I confronted that spirit, and it went out just like it came in. And I, I just, I thought, and, and I thought, what? What? What did, what happened? And I felt like the Lord said to me, he just did everything he could do to you. He just did it. That was it. Being frightened is not the same thing as being afraid. Look, I was in Israel with Carol and Neil and Nero Lee, but on this particular day, I was walking alone, and I was climbing up. I was climbing up Mount Tabor. Man, there was a trail going up there, and I was going up that trail. I had my walking sticks, and I was, man, I'd been going for hours, and I was getting up, and I got about right here and about right there where that microphone is. I stopped because I saw this big cobra coming straight. He didn't see me. I didn't see him, but we intersected. And when we intersected, I stopped in my tracks as he reared up when he saw me and flanged and opened his mouth. I was scared. I stopped in my tracks, but fear did not keep me from my trek. I had a fright. I stopped in my tracks, but fear didn't keep me from my trek. Although, the next few days, with my sticks, I'm going, coming through, coming through. Here he comes. Everybody, everybody, move out of the way. <laughs> a frightened world needs a fearless church. I finished last time, two weeks ago, with this passage of Scripture in Luke, and I just love it so much. And I want to finish it again with this again today. Luke 174, we have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. I choose. Thank you, team. I choose. I choose that life. See, fear is a choice. So is fearless. It's a choice. I choose to serve God for as long as I live without fear. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. What does a fearless church look like? It looks like fierce followers of Christ who are not afraid to die. It looks like bold believers in Jesus who are not afraid of man. It looks like daring disciples of Christ who are not afraid of the dark. And I wonder, would you join me in choosing to live a life without fear, serving God all the days of your life without fear, in holiness and righteousness for as long as you live? Would you help me create this courage culture that our children could grow up in? Would you help me create a courage culture that the world could run to as a refuge? 
where we're not afraid of all the things that the world is afraid of. Not only is this good for us as the church, this is good for a frightened world. If you would join me, if you would make this choice with me, that I'm going to serve God without fear for as long as I live, except the fear of God. Of course, Jonah preached an amazing message about three weeks ago on the fear of God on the Sunday night. If you've not heard that message, man, listen to it two or three times. One of the best messages I've ever heard on the fear of God, he spoke a few weeks ago. So the fear of God, that's a given. But the fear of everything else, that, that, ain't, that ain't happening. Come on, somebody. If you would choose with me and if you would agree with me, I'm going to ask you to demonstrate it right now by standing to your feet.